This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's now time to turn back the clock and catch up with some old friends of A's past, exclusively on A's Cast. This is Where Are They Now? Vince Catronio sits down with alumni of the Oakland Athletics to reminisce and discuss current adventures. Here's Vince Catronio. It is time for another episode of Where Are They Now? And we visit with Travis Buck, who is an A's outfielder, first-round pick out of Arizona State. Back in 2005, he played for the A's from 07 to 2010. Some great memories, even though he didn't play a lot of games for the athletics, and now he's certainly still staying in the game, which is great. He's coaching at Arizona State under their head coach, Willie Bloomquist, and joins us from uh, Phoenix, Arizona. And Travis, I guess at this time of the year, even though there's no games, but there's always something going on in a college program, whether it's recruiting or just keeping guys in shape, or in this case, this particular week, working with young kids, trying to get them to become future Sun Devils. How's all that going? I'll tell you what, it's, uh, you know, there is no offseason in college athletics, pretty much kind of like professional baseball, right? There is no offseason, um, you know, now that we have majority of our guys playing summer baseball, guy, the draft that just got done, um, you know, this is pretty much the, the, the most busy time because we're free. Uh, a lot of the coaches are out recruiting. The volunteer coach, which which I am, it usually stays on campus, obviously, and uh, makes a living running camps. So July, we've been hitting it pretty hard with the youth camps. Uh, and then obviously a couple weeks away before, you know, we have our team enroll and uh, get back at it. They're one of the great baseball programs, you know, great history there with the Sun Devils. And you were part of it. You were first round pick of the A's in 2005. Take me back to that time, that year, and the A's watching you and certainly other clubs. And what that day was like when you found out that uh, you were first round pick of the Oakland Athletics. Well, it's not what it's uh, made up to be nowadays, right? Being on TV, doing all that good stuff. Um, you know, that's the reason why I came to Arizona State. I obviously wanted to play uh, for one of the best college head coaches at the time and Pat Murphy uh, in one of the best, if not, you know, college baseball's greatest tradition at Arizona State where the amount of exposure that uh, players get uh, is second to none. You know, we have half of the spring training complexes are here. You got the Arizona Fall League. You know, it's the hotbed of baseball. So I wanted to go to a place that not only helped me become a better player, both on and off the field, but, you know, got me the potential opportunity to live out my dream and, and play professional baseball. Um, the A's have always, you know, drafted the Pac-12 very well, uh, and especially Arizona State. So, you know, playing for a year with Andre Ethier obviously helped. Um, and, you know, it, just getting the amount of exposure. Coming here, you know, you're, you're outdoors year-round. Everybody wants to come here uh, and watch baseball games. And you go to a place that really develops guys. So I had the opportunity to, to, to play, you know, in one of the best college programs in the country for one of the best college coaches ever. 
and uh, had, a, had a play with a lot of great players, Andre Ethier, Dustin Pedroia, Jeff Larish, you know, the list goes on and on. So uh, that draft year, obviously, it, it was hectic, right? I mean, all the eyes are on you. Um, you're, you're trying to prove stuff uh, and maybe being someone who you're not. So obviously, I struggled early on, and then I just said, screw it, I'm going to be who I am. I was a guy that always hit for high average, hit for a lot of doubles, not much power in terms of home runs. Um, but, you know, I was, I guess, a prototypical A's player at that time, getting on base a lot, uh, wrecking havoc on, on the base pass and uh, playing very good defense. So it was a perfect spot for me to go. Uh, and I was extremely fortunate uh, to be drafted by Oakland. All the things you just mentioned, Travis, it, it, it puts you clearly in a position to accelerate to the A's uh, system. You know, you're drafted in June of 05, and you're on the opening day roster against Felix Hernandez in 2007 against the Mariners. It, how fast did it did it feel like when you were in, in that, try to continue to realize the dream and get there, and next thing you know, you're, you're in the box against one of the greatest right-handers of your generation? Absolutely. You know, at the Pac-12, I would pretty much equivalent at that time to, you know, high A where you're facing very good pitching, uh, very good teams. Um, and, you know, being a first-round pick, obviously they invest a lot of money in you, so they, you know, want to push you. Uh, obviously it varies on different organizations. Uh, the best thing about the A's organization that if you produce, uh, you know, in a short amount of time, that they weren't afraid to continue to move you. And being a college guy, uh, I was – pretty well developed already uh so they weren't afraid to continue to push me to the next level and level you know I got drafted in 05 like you said and uh finished that half year in high A at Stockton with the playoffs 06 I started in Stockton played there for a little over a month then moved on to double A in Midland played there for about two months before a sports hernia injury uh, ended my season and then you know obviously did pretty well was on the the futures roster uh roster in, in pittsburgh um so i went in the off season knowing you know i was expecting to go to to sacramento and uh billy and david called me and said hey we're going to invite you to big link camp you're not going to make the team and i knew i wasn't going to make the team i just wanted an opportunity to get a chance to to compete against the very best uh, see what it's like to be a big leaguer, be around so many guys at that time that were, were very veteran heavy. Mark Kotze, Jason Kendall, Bobby Crosby, Eric Chavez, uh, Mark Ellis, and the list goes on and on. Get a chance to see how they went about their business was truly eye-opening, and there was a reason why they were very good for so long. So uh, going into that camp, I just wanted to, you know, uh, open up some eyes uh, and hopefully give them a glimpse of what's about to come. And, um, you know, I think going in there, having no expectations uh, allowed me to be myself and, and being in a organization that allowed you to be yourself uh, really makes it easy for players. Um, Cause when we're ourselves, we're at our very best. So uh, going in there doing pretty well early on in, in the spring training Obviously, things had to happen in order for me to uh, make that opening day roster. And Dan Johnson went down with a torn labrum in his hip. And, and uh, Mark Kotze had a, had a back uh, injury. I think he ended up having surgery. So that opened the door. And uh, me playing extremely well all spring, 
I think leading the team in a lot of the offensive categories, granted, I basically played every day. Um, you know, they, they felt I was prepared for that opportunity. And uh, it was definitely a dream come true. What was opening night like? I mean, you, you end up going one for four. You get a double against Felix, I think, in your third at bat. Just uh, take me through those moments, just you know, getting ready for the game. National Anthem teams on the lines. You know, it's, it's all the pomp and circumstance of what opening day has to offer. And, and again, when you're facing Felix Hernandez, you definitely know it's opening day. 1-0 pitch to Buck is driven to deep center. Ichiro going back. Ichiro is at the track. It's over his head and off the wall. Travis Buck turning at first, going to second with a stand-up double, and that's his first major league hit. And the Buck fan club is loving it at Safeco Field. And that was no cheapy. That was a rocket that the six-time gold lover basically just said, I ain't going to get to it. I'll just try to play the camera. Hope it stays in the park. Yeah, even going back to the Bay Bridge series, kind of the three-game exhibition that we have, obviously, with the Giants every year. Uh, I want to say the the first uh, game or two, it was kind of, you know, in, in San Francisco. Then the last game, the day game was always in Oakland, something like that. So uh, the second day after the game, you know, they called me into to Bob's office. And, you know, I was walking down the hallway there, and I saw a white jersey that had my last name on it with no number. And I'm like, you know, wait a second, what's going on here? First of all, I thought that was pretty cool, but I'm like, why would that be right there? You know? And then uh, I walk into the office and everybody's in there, all the front office and Bob's behind his desk. And, you know, we kind of just went over, you know, the, the spring of what I had and obviously the things that were, you know, that transpired the injuries. Um, and I was slated to go to Sacramento. I had no idea where Oakland was opening up. Uh, I was just excited about, you know, playing AAA, one one step closer to, to fulfilling my ultimate dream. And uh, when they told me I made the team, um, that's when I had to pull out that, that pocket calendar and saying, holy smoke, so I'm, we're opening up in, in Seattle at Safeco, obviously my home state where uh, I had to get on the horn and tell all my friends and family that uh, obviously I made the team and that we're opening up in, uh, in Seattle. So I had a, a tremendous support that, that came, uh, all my extended family, my immediate family, friends, got a chance to, to watch me in my major league debut, obviously facing Felix at that time. He was, you know, in my opinion, the toughest pitcher that I've ever, ever, ever faced. Um, you know, he, he, I think he really licked his chops when he was facing the A's every time. I mean, he'd go about seven or eight scoreless, maybe a run, you know, two or three hits and about 10 punch outs. So, and this uh, was the 97 98 Felix with the great split and the heartbreaking ball. It, it, it was ridiculous. You know, he basically had five plus pitches and threw them in any count, you know, fastball upwards, mid to upper 90s. Uh, but you know, I didn't care where I where I hit. You know that Bob was telling me I'm playing right field, and I'm like, what? I'm just appreciated the opportunity. This is my dream. And one thing that really stood out before the game, we talked about veterans. Jay Watasek, we were out uh, in, in batting practice, and he just said, "Hey, man, this is the same game up here. Do what got you here. Don't try to be someone who you're not. Yeah, the guys up here are better and more consistent, but obviously you're here for a reason." So that kind of eased my, you know, my, my nerves a little bit saying, hey, this is the same game that we've played ever since we we're in, you know, Little League. It's just obviously it's at the very highest level. 
Uh, but facing Felix, you know, I, I think, yeah, I was one for three or one for four. I know I struck out my first at bat. And, uh, you know, I didn't want to fall behind, you know, my second at bat on him. So I think I think he threw me a oh fastball kind of up in the zone. I hit it to the base uh, of the wall in center field over Ichiro's head. And, you know, it was just like I was floating into second base. You know, that was just like, holy smokes, my first big league hit in front of my friends and family. Um, definite dream come true and, and obviously something I'm never going to forget. When you look back on that rookie season, like any young player, there's going to be some ups and downs, and you experienced some of that. You only played in 82 games that year. You've talked about you know things that were happening with your body even before you got to the big leagues. But still, how do you look back on that first year? Because all in all, when you were on the field, you performed. And how do you how do you view 2007? Yeah, that was kind of you know uh, I was li- labeled injury injury prone my entire career. Um, you know, quite a few of the injuries were baseball related. Some were uh, things that happened with my body, stress-related, things like that, that, that come up from time to time. Uh, but that was the, the biggest thing. I, I was never really hurt all through college. And then I think, you know, how I played, my style, probably what attracted me to the Oakland A's where I was all out all the time. I was giving my body up each and every play. Uh, I just, you know, felt that any ball hit in my direction, I was going to catch it. And a lot of the times I did. And sometimes, you know, I had a couple concussions and some other injuries that that were caused by it. Um, But that was, you know, obviously, statistically speaking, my best year of my career. Uh, It was the funnest year of my career. Um, I had no pressure, right? I was then, I was just one of the guys. And, you know, you had a lot of veteran guys that were, you know, everybody was circling their name saying, hey, this guy is not going to beat us. And my name was always left uncircled, which allowed me to, to get a lot more hittable pitches. But uh, having so many of those guys take me under their wing, uh, granted, I played basically about half half the year and had a lot of injuries that popped up. I wish I would have handled things a little bit differently because, um, you know, you always – think you're going to play this game forever and looking back it's like man was I really hurt or was I sore and it's it's really trying to explain to our guys here in college that that want to play professionally it's like you know you're playing a game that you're basically playing 162 games in 180 days and you're not going to be you're not ever going to be 100 percent so uh, you're going to have to learn to to play you know injured a little bit at times it was definitely a blast that that rookie year wish I would have stayed on the field uh, a lot more I think we all do visiting with Travis Buck and our where are they now episode Travis I want to take a peek at a couple of key moments of that 2007 season I know you had your first home run in Arlington against Bruce Chan of the Rangers that stands on its own but I want to get to two other moments one tying the game at Fenway Park against Jonathan Papelbon how special a moment is that in that historic stadium against you know a dynamic closer and you're getting a chance in the ninth inning to to keep the A's in the ballgame 26 years of age 6'4 230 Jonathan Papelbon 0-2 to Buck it's on the way, and it swung on. Hit the deep right field in the corner. Going back on it, Hinsky. He's at the track. He's got the wall. He leans into the stands, and the ball is gone. And Travis Buck has tied the ball game with a towering drive to right field for a two-run home run in the top of the ninth inning off Papelbon. The A's have tied it up at 4-4. Travis Buck with his third home run this year. And that quiets the Fenway faithful. 
Yeah, it's pretty funny. Obviously, you know, the second baseman for the Red Sox, Dustin Pedroia, we were, were very good friends. We had we played two years together at Arizona State. So obviously when we flew in, I got a chance to go see him. I went over to his apartment, uh, him and his wife. And, uh, you know, obviously the starter that night was Kurt Schilling. And Schilling does an amazing job on writing players' names down after every inning, how he pitched to them, so he can always revert back to it. And obviously, that was the first time I was facing him. So, you know, they they all asked Dustin, how would they pitch to me? How are you going to pitch to Travis? And he's like, I don't know, throw him fastballs inside, you know? And we started laughing. I'm like, okay, good to know, you know? So, you know, that game ended up having three hits. I think I had a chopper up the middle. I hit uh, one of his splitties off uh, the, the base of the green monster. And obviously, you know, the game tying home run. But, you know, the, the first at bat, I see, you know, Schilling look to Pedroia and kind of shift him in the hole a little bit. And then I hit that single up the middle and he's going crazy, all upset. And then, you know, leading it to, uh, the, I think it was that ninth inning, Bobby Crosby was on first base and you know, he threw two fastballs by me, and I was always a very good fastball hitter. I think that's what made me become a very good hitter because I was aggressive early in the count. I didn't want to give a free strike. I always had the saying, you can't sneak a piece of cheese by the rat. I think he threw me one too many fastballs, and I got one up in the zone and obviously crushed it out to right field. And just to hear that Fenway Park go from absolute just roaring to complete silence was obviously one of my favorite memories, one of the best memories. The best thing about it is we ended up going into extra innings and winning that game. So uh, that was truly an amazing uh, memory for me and a, a storied ballpark. You touched on earlier about playing in the Bay Bridge Series prior to the season, which the A's have historically done. It's been a little more challenging lately coming out of the pandemic, but that always has been a part of wrapping up spring training. And talk with other guys that played with you because you played at a time, you just missed the 06 season when the A's go to the ALCS, and then you missed the run of, of 12 and 13 and 14 when Bob Melvin takes over and they you know go to the postseason. So you're at a time where the team wasn't winning uh, as much as they wanted to. But I talk with guys like Jack Cust, who you played with. And Jack said, you know what? I get that we didn't have, you know, the playoffs, but we had the Giants series. And the Giants series to us at that time almost was as close to the playoffs as we could get if we weren't going to go there. You had a four-hit game against the Giants in that first season. What what are your memories about uh, the success you had against them and, and what that meant? If the team isn't going to win enough games to get to the postseason, we at least want to beat our rival across the bay and make the most of that. Yeah, it's, it's always tough. Obviously, playing in the big leagues, it's, it's preaching team, 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 team all the time, right? And it gets pretty tough at times because when the team isn't doing very well, a lot of times guys want to be selfish and look for getting their own numbers so they end up getting paid. Uh, that, that team, those years when I was there, Jack Cuss, a, a very good friend of mine, obviously, and we were very close when we were with the A's together. We had to try try to find the extra added motivation, right? Obviously, you're, you're playing at the highest level. You're out there performing. You want to do extremely well. Winning cures all. But, you know, getting a chance to play the Giants, obviously, they had the big signing with, with Zito heading over there. Barry Bonds was still there. You know, they had some big-time names that, that you really wanted to see how you could stack up against. And, you know, that's when, you know, Linscom was coming up at the time. I mean, they, they were really good. Matt Kane, I mean, you name it, they had so many great players. But that was the motivation that that, that we wanted to kind of have some bragging rights in the Bay Area. A lot of times the, a, the A's were looked down upon just because our record, you know, wasn't is what we expected it to be. 
But uh, being able to, uh, you know, knock Zito out of the game early on after he signed that big contract was huge because obviously a lot of the A's fans, I'll tell you what, the A's fans, as you know, they are so hardcore. They are tremendous supporters through thick and thin. It, the best found fan support out there. There's no doubt about it. They are true diehard fans that that really, you know, strive and want their team to do well. So that, that was kind of the motivation that kept us going, you know, and obviously playing against the Giants with all those big names. Granted, we had some too, but they were playing a little bit better than we were. It added that motivation and, and, and it was good to, you know, have some success against them. You know, I always loved leading off. You know, it's just I was swinging at the first pitch and I was hitting where it was pitched. And a lot of times when you get starters that are out there kind of going, I can't just throw a little cookie in there. It's going to get crushed. Then they start to kind of pitch a little bit and when they're not used to it. But being able to, to start some of those games leading off, getting the rallies going uh, was, was unbelievable. And having, you know, one of my few four hit games, I think it was a day game. Uh, in San Francisco, just some of the memories that you'll never forget, the ones that I continue to, to bring up this to this day. What was opening day like the following year in Tokyo? Because that was uh, you know something unique for the A's, and as it turned out, they would do it on more than one occasion. But that was the first time facing the you know the world champion Red Sox and and going to a place where you know baseball is rabid, and they their fans they cheer in a much different but certainly a very passionate way. I had a little experience uh, through college, obviously being on the USA national team. We went to Taiwan and we went to Japan, so I kind of had an idea what it was like. And you're right, it was, it's totally different. They're very respectful when. When the opposing teams, you know, when they're hitting, the fans come up and they cheer. The other team sits down. But but heading over there, you know, going back to what Jay Watasa told me, uh, opening day, my rookie year, he's like, hey, man, this is the same game. Don't try to be someone who you're not. You know, that next year was, was a very difficult transitioning year for me because we trade everybody away. Uh, Swisher was one of my good fr uh, friends at the time. Uh, and here I was, you know, playing 80 something games, like you said, face of the franchise, had my own bobblehead on all the billboards, you name it. Everybody wants to be that guy, but it's kind of like, be careful what you ask for. And, you know, obviously for, for the, the organization to do all that stuff uh, for me really showed how much they believed in me. And uh, that made me think that I had to be someone who I was and I tried to hit all these home runs everybody looked at me you're 6'2 6'3 220 30 pounds you need to hit more home runs that was never just my game and when I tried to do that I forgot what I did so well which was go to left center so uh, case in point obviously the, the the spring training that year I didn't put up as many numbers as I would like I go into to Tokyo you know dealing with shin splints playing on turf that wasn't very obviously good for the shins but being able to, to be in that atmosphere uh, was, was obviously another memory that I'll never forget. Getting a chance to obviously lead off against Daisuke Matsuzaka in Japan. Uh, you know, the place is going nuts. I'm like, you know what? I'm swinging at the first pitch. And I, I got a great pitch to hit. Now, if I was my normal self, who knows what would have happened. But me trying to be someone who I wasn't, trying to hit that first pitch about 500 feet. I got jammed, roll over. Then I end that, you know, that two or three game stretch 0 for 8. And then I end up going, you know, 0 for 26. And uh, that's when I truly found out that uh, the business side of the game. But being able to experience that going over to Japan, playing a couple exhibition games, and then obviously facing the Red Sox two times uh, was obviously another amazing memory. 
that uh, I had an opportunity to experience. And you, you did touch on something I wanted to get to and, and your reaction. I think you've already spoken to it to a certain degree because you suddenly you became the marketing person for the athletics and the, you're, you barely played one season and it wasn't even a full season in the big leagues. And all of a sudden, like you said, everywhere you turn, there's a Travis Buck something or another. Uh, looking back on it, how difficult was that? We talk so much now in, in today's world, thankfully, about challenges that people have in all walks of life with with things that, that affect the mind, things that, that kind of get inside you and you try to fight through those things or find a way to, to smooth those paths. How do you look back on that? Yeah, it was tough. I mean, at the time, you know, it, it's like, why me? Why me? Uh, now looking back, I'm like, you know what? It sucked that it happened. But I learned so much because of that. And now I'm in a position where I can help our guys be able to work through similar situations. So, um, you know, it, it was like I said, everybody wants to be the guy. And, you know, for them to show that amount of support for me and the organization that the organization did meant a lot. And, you know, maybe it was the added pressure that I put on myself to try to be someone who I wasn't at that time. Eventually, could I have transitioned to be somebody different, a lot more home runs, things like that? Maybe, but I, I should have continued continued to embrace the player that I was at that time where I was going to hit for high average. I was going to hit a lot of doubles, occasional home runs, um, but it was, a, it was a tough learning experience. And... Um, you know, it's something that if I go back, I'm like, you know what? I think it's, this is all great, but I, this is who I am as a player. And obviously it, it, this is good enough for them to put all their chips in my direction. Uh, don't try to be someone who you're not. And I had a lot of the veteran guys who I was very close to, they were gone. So it was now I was looking to see who I could lean to, to really help ground me. I wasn't very cocky. I played with a sense of swagger and, and confidence for sure, but but I wasn't cocky. I didn't think my, you know what, stink. You know, it was just, you know, I, I just tried to be someone who I wasn't. I tried to hit all these home runs and I got exposed. And exposed meaning, you know, I, I got pitched differently. Uh, if I would have had the same approach, I mean, who knows what would have happened, but um, it, it was definitely, it was definitely tough uh, at that time where there was also talks about contract extensions, things like that. So I had a lot of outside factors that I had no control over control me. And instead of focusing on things that I could totally control um, that affected my, my play, uh, I ended up getting hurt. Um, and, and there are some other things that happened that really, not kept me going in the direction that we all wanted me to to go into visiting with travis buck and our where are they now episode travis and people can look at the baseball reference page and you've already addressed that you wish the body could have held up better in the big leagues and play more games and do the things you felt like you were always capable of doing it didn't work out in that regard but when you're with a baseball team, you are still with a very special fraternity, and you've discussed friendships that you still have to this day. You're coaching in Arizona State. And I was looking back at some of the guys that you played with. Coco Crisp is now coaching in the, in the Nationals organization. Bobby Crosby is a manager for the A's at AA. Adam Rosales is managing the rookie league team. Boom Boom Bailey, Andrew Bailey is the pitching coach for the Giants. I mean, Craig Breslow is a 
as a front office executive with the Cubs. When you look back on, on that collection of guys and, and you're a part of this, how happy are you that, that yourself and others are still keepers of the game and, and have so much love for the game that, well, maybe the career as a player is over, but there are still more things I can accomplish uh, in a different direction in the game of baseball. It, it just shows that we're all students of the game. And a lot of times, obviously, when guys get done playing and they retire, they just kind of, you know, just spend the rest of their lives maybe on a golf course and just sticking to themselves where, you know, it, a lot you know, a lot of times we – well, majority of us don't get the Derek Jeter treatment, the, the David Ortiz, where they say, okay, I'm done. You know, 99.9% .9 of the guys that play this game have somebody tell us and make that decision for us. So, you know, once once I personally got done, you know, I was like, man, you know, and I, I spent a year uh, in depression of not really knowing because we've done something for so long. We've been in the same routine for so long. Now it's over. Um, it really took me a while to, to pick myself up and go, OK, what do I want to do now? And I always loved learning about the game. I always asked questions and just wrote stuff down and just knowing that maybe when this career was over, I can look back and go, man, look at all these conversations, but knowing in the position that I'm in now, being able to apply all of those things uh, means the world to me. Um, you know, obviously our staff here at Arizona state, you know, led by our head coach, Willie Blumquist, who was a 14 year big leaguer. We have a lot of professional experience on this staff and we we use it when we need to. We don't rely on it. It's not about us. It's about the guys that we have in front of us trying to get the most out of their abilities, instilling confidence in them and believe, and making them believe that they are great because we want all of our guys to experience what we did. It's the greatest thing in the world to play the game of baseball at the highest level. Um, but but seeing everybody that, that is – you know, during the course of my career as an o Oakland athletic to be able to see what everybody is doing right now, still back in the game coaching one way or another, I think it's awesome. And, you know, getting a chance to, to dabble in a little bit of it a couple of years ago at Boise State, granted COVID cut that program. And then uh, I got a taste last summer uh, with the Boise Hawks, which is that new independent pioneer league. Um, you know, I, I really felt my calling right now is in college baseball where I can get players in the palm of my hand and mold them in the type of players and grown men that they're going to end up becoming. Uh, the pro thing was unbelievable. I was able to live my dream and experience so many things that I, I you know, I wouldn't have doing something else. And maybe one day down the road, I'll be able to get back into the professional side. But I just I love college. Um, I, I love shaping, you know, guys into becoming men. Uh, and I want to really have all these players experience what I did. And, you know, of course, seeing how the Oakland A's still run their minor league system, they still have quite a few guys that are, that are still there that were, were there when I was there. Um, I, I really love seeing guys from ASU get drafted, to, to the A's organization because I know how well they're going to get treated, but also I know they're going to continue to develop and get pushed. Travis, you're, you're at a time in coaching uh, and a time in this game where there is 
so much information out there and everybody can access it in so many different ways. There's a ton of video. There's a ton of guys that, that say my way is the right way. Come to me as a swing coach or a pitching coach, or I can get you more velocity or more spin rate, et cetera. Uh, you, when you played, you were, you maybe at the, at the infancy of some of that stuff, but really not the way it is now. So what are your challenges as a coach with young players, with, you know, with 17, 18, 19, 20 year olds that have seen a lot of this, that have watched a lot, have absorbed a lot of this. And yet the, the, you try to break down the simplicity of, I'm not teaching you how to swing. I'm teaching you how to hit, you know, there's a difference between, you know, having the perfect launch angle and, and all those kinds of things. But like you mentioned, you know, you were an aggressive hitter. Uh, it worked for you and you like to use left center field as a left-hand batter. What are the messages you deliver to young players today in a world where we are so bombarded with information? It's crazy. You know, the, the amount of information out there, right, wrong, or indifferent, uh, it, it's information overload. And whether we agree with it or not, we have to learn to accept it or at least acknowledge it because the, <clears throat> the players that we're getting has grown up learning all that stuff. And, you know, there are bits and pieces that are good. And when I was playing, we didn't have any of that stuff. We, we basically just figured out a way to get it done. And a lot of the stuff back in, you know, when I was playing still applies to this day. And I think guys get into trouble with too much information rather than still breaking the swing down to being as simplistic as possible, getting in a good position to hit, being able to be balanced, um, obviously hitting the ball where it's pitched. We all want to be short and long through extension, things like that. But, uh, you know, we, we kind of, you know, butt heads a little bit with our players here because they, they're all in turn with the, the track man, the Rapsodo, the hit tracks. There's so many things that are out there rather than, no, let's just get in a good position to hit. Let's attack the baseball the correct way and good things are going to happen. And, you know, we're a little bit more of an older school, uh, I, I guess, hitting philosophy here at Arizona State just because Coach Blumquist and myself, we're the old school type of hitters where, you know, we use technology when we need to, but we don't rely on it. And it's getting guys to truly understand that the swings are pretty similar now than, than they were back in the day. We we hate launch angle here. Uh, we want more high contact backspin and balls because that's going to carry it a lot further. Um, you know, the, the swings and misses are, are, are too much uh, in this game, in my opinion. And uh, man, I you know I I've, when I was playing, you know, 250 was not a very good hitter. And now it's like, man, if I'm hitting 250, I'd still be having a job. So it's really trying to get guys to buy into, you know, you need to find a way to put the ball in play because good things happen when we put the ball in play. Yeah, home runs are great. Don't get me wrong. Home runs are great. But, you know, the, the you don't see as many 300 hitters nowadays as you would back, you know, years ago. Yeah, pitching, more velocity, spin rate, all that stuff. Totally get it. But, I mean, there's so many great hitters that, in my opinion, are, are not hitting in terms of average as well as they should. And a lot of that is because of the launch angle. A lot of it's not thinking that they need to hit the ball to the opposite field. So there are a lot of things that, that we're trying to clean up here. We want 
our guys here to become complete hitters. So when we give them and an organization drafts them, they already know that they can use the entire field. And we want guys that have good bat to ball skills. And, you know, it, it's, it's crazy. I'll tell you. I mean, I, I'm learning a lot. I'm embracing it because I'd be dumb not to. Uh, but I think a lot of times guys get caught up into too much of that. And it takes a lot of the athleticism away uh, from the player. So let's wind out our conversation, Travis, with this. We've talked a lot of baseball, a lot of relationships, a lot of coaching. You're experiencing fatherhood for the first time. Uh, one month in, you've got a baby daughter with your wife. Uh, changes your world, doesn't it? Unbelievable feeling. I'll tell you what, I, you know, I, I'm 38 and finally a, a dad for the first time having a baby girl June 16th. Evelina Victoria Buck is her name. It, it is the greatest feeling in the world. Yeah, I always wanted to be a girl dad. You know, a lot of people, hey, I want to have a boy so I can, you know, show them how all that stuff. You know, if we eventually have a boy, great. But being able to have a baby girl is, is, has truly been a dream come true. And now that I say, you know, being a college coach is a full-time job. There, there are no hours. I mean, you're always at the office. You're always doing something. Being able to finally start a family, like I said, is a blessing in disguise because now my priorities will shift a little bit. I'm still not going to lose any attention and everything at work. You know, do I need to be at the stadium from 6 a.m. to 8 p.m.? No, I don't. You know, I can still do stuff at home. And now I have somebody to go home to that's always going to put a smile on my face. It's truly a blessing. It's an unbelievable feeling. Now it's just my goal to, to find a place here in Arizona so I can move the family down from Idaho and uh, help raise my daughter. Travis, you're always one of our favorite guys. I know in terms of what you wanted to produce on the field didn't go exactly as you planned, but you were always available. You're always fun to talk to. And uh, I'm glad things are going well at Arizona State. Uh, when alum go back to their to their community, it's, it's a big deal. And I know like my son, who's an ASU guy, forks up, and you guys have spent some time together. Uh, it means a lot to him that he has a relationship with you as also. Hope to see at some point. Coliseum or spring training. Wish you all the best, and thanks for spending some time with us. Vince, I appreciate you giving me the opportunity. It was great to catch up, and uh, I look forward to connecting soon. Travis Buck joining us on this episode of Where Are They Now? This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.